Well, good evening, everyone. I'd like to welcome you tonight. Um, I'd like to welcome those who are watching online. Uh, we know that there's many people online watching, and uh, I just want to welcome you at home because there are some people that are, in fact, Frank McLaughlin, if you're watching tonight, I know you're home. Uh, we pr we've been praying for you, and I hope that you uh, are getting better soon. Um, uh, for those of you in the room, Frank is always here. He's always present. Uh, he sat right up here last couple weeks ago, and he had a mild heart attack and was in the hospital, and they went in and did their magic with the, the what is it, our angiogram or something? Some, right, angio and then they put a little stent in, and he's already home, and he's doing great. So, uh, and I'm sure he's watching online. So, um, yeah, so uh, what, a, what a week, goodness. Um, I'd also like to say Norma Jean is home, right? Is that correct? Who was telling me Norma Jean is home? Just a little post-traumatic or, or post-surgery trouble she's having, um, which are normal, but she's home and doing well. Um, but it's, what a week it's been. Um, just kind of getting you up to speed on this. But uh, I would like to update you. The reason I'm teaching again tonight, and I'm so pleased to have the opportunity. I enjoy teaching. I love teaching. Um, and uh, Greg was supposed to teach tonight, and then I was going to take a couple of weeks towards the end of the summer, and he is currently meeting with Jackie tonight and their family. That's the only night they could do it. And so they're preparing for a celebration of life for Bill. And, uh, and that's where Pastor Greg is this evening. And so, um, but uh, I'm excited about this evening. It's, it's man, these, this, this book of Kings is like a, some kind of crazy lifetime movie series. You know, the ups and the downs, the days of our lives. And it's just crazy how this goes. But... Um, uh, why don't I go ahead and, and open us in prayer, um, just just to let, in fact, I don't, I don't know if everybody knows, but um, uh, Kay Staples uh, has, has passed away, she went to be with the Lord, that's more of a, it's more of a homecoming at this point, and um, uh, it's, you know, Pastor Greg knew her for years and years, and um, in fact, both people, both Bill and uh, Kay were very close to Pastor Greg. And so not only is it a, um, a hard thing for, for the church to, to lose a member, but uh, when, it's, when you're close to someone like that, as, as he was, it's a little, little more difficult on, on him. And, um, but he's doing okay. Like I said, he's, it's been a very, very busy, busy week. Uh, there, we've just been doing visitations. Uh, Pastor Ray and I went with um, Helen and visited with Phyllis um, Libanati. And um, we had a really good visit with her, and she is... She is is at peace. Um, she knows where George is going. She gave us a little backstory on how George came to know the Lord. He was the Catholic. And, uh, and I don't know if you know the story, but uh, they both met in their mid to late 50s. And both of their spouses had passed away from heart attack or cancer. And uh, he was interested in Phyllis. And, um, but he, uh, she said, I, are, are you a Christian? He said, well, I'm a Catholic. She goes, well, and pulled out a track to hand him, <laughs> to, and she witnessed to him, and, and uh, George came to know Christ, and uh, has been a strong witness ever since. And so, um, so uh, George is still with us on this side of heaven, and he's soon to be stepping through, and uh, we hope that that transition is, is peaceful for him, and, and it's almost like nothing ever happened for him. He'll just all of a sudden be uh, in the presence of the Lord, as we all hope to be someday, so... Um, let's lift up some of these people tonight and, 
and pray the Lord or pray, pray that the Holy Spirit uh, illuminates this text for us tonight. Okay, Father God, we um, we come to you tonight, um, uh, worn, weary, uh, but also uh, excited about uh, your Word, Father. It's been a very difficult week. Um, it's been a week of ministry to the body, Lord, and we know that these people who are very dear to us are who have moved on to glory, Lord. We are so grateful for that. We're so grateful that we have uh, that assurance and that hope that as believers we will be with you when we leave this world. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like not to have that hope, Lord. But, in, but as, we, as we are celebratory, we also want to remember the spouses that were left behind, Father, and Lord, that you will just... Uh, just come upon them in, a, in, a, in, the, in the most peace, with the most peace that you can bring, Father. Um, the, the scripture says that you are, ever, you are our ever-present ever help uh, in time of need. And Lord, we pray for um, the people that are mourning, the families, Lord, as these transitions occur and, and as, they, as they have occurred, Lord, that you'll be with them and uh, bring them comfort uh, as only the Good Shepherd can. Uh, Lord, tonight be with us as we open uh, your word from the Old Testament to continue to uh, learn about your ways and your attributes and who you are, Father. Uh, and Lord, I pray that, again, that same Holy Spirit that was present at the time of these writings would be with us tonight and illuminate the text for us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to give you... Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 14 tonight. Chapter 14. Greg last week did a wonderful job uh, with a crazy story. And uh, we're going to kind of be jumping into 14 tonight. But before, and you know, what I'd like to do is just kind of give you an overview. I like to, when, these, when you get into a chapter like this, sometimes these chapters are almost divided in strange ways. But tonight, we're gonna, there's two basic uh, sections or plays or acts, uh, so to speak, in this particular chapter. The first one, if you're taking notes, um, the first act, so to speak, uh, is chapter verses 1 through 20. And that's going to be covering uh, the, sort of the goings-on of the northern kingdom, uh, where Jeroboam is in charge. That's Israel. And then the second half of the chapter is verses 21 through 31. And that refers, is going to be talking about uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, where Rehoboam is in charge. Um, so as we kind of look at that, I, I, I would like to just talk about, um, you know, I always like to try to have some sort of topic or, you know, what is the main theme as we look into this. Um, but in this particular passage, there is one overarching theme at the same time, there are a couple of other little sub-themes that are going on in this chapter. Um, one of them being uh, God's, God's, th that God is a just God. Okay, So that's if you're taking notes, one of the three things we're looking at tonight in this particular text is God is a just God. Okay, He's a good judge. He's righteous. Um, the other thing is that, the second thing is that He is a jealous God. Uh, rightly so. Okay, uh, And then the last thing, the third thing, which I sort of, which sort of wraps up that first section when we're talking about Jeroboam, is that uh, th there's a question, and it's actually what what is your legacy? 
What is your legacy? And I, I immediately, as I was looking through this and, and seeing the legacy of these kings that, that, that rise and they fall and some are good and some are bad, I was reminded this week of the legacy that we, that we leave. You know, what is our legacy? What do we, what do we leave with? Do we, um, you know, and then I reflected back on, on Brother Bill. We know his legacy 100% holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, fully given to the Lord. Yes, he taught motorcycle classes, but he wasn't known for that because even the people in his motorcycle classes heard about the Lord by the time the class was over, you know? So we know that Brother Bill, he, his legacy was fully given to the Lord, you know, with Kay, undoubtedly, what a saint. Her life was fully and wholly given to the Lord. And so as we reflect on this week and we see these saints that have moved on to glory, we're reminded and we, we sometimes have to turn ourselves inward as we look at these texts that are, you know, several thousand years, several thousand years old, but we want to turn our, you know, we want to examine ourselves and go, are we fully given to the Lord? And, and what will our legacy be if we leave here tonight and, you know, God forbid, we just, something happens. What will people remember us as? You know, and I, can, I, I feel like I'm sort of preaching to the choir because you're all here tonight. Not only do you come to church and serve the Lord, you're at Bible study, which I think is like a next level of sainthood, you know, in a way, if you come to Bible study. But it just shows your dedication to, well, maybe not. Maybe not, Judy, I don't know. So, but it just shows, you know, I would hope to think that. Um, and so those are some things I was kind of thinking over and pondering because in, in these Old Testament texts, there's a lot of context and historical data, but trying to bring real things to life as to what, how to apply this, because they always say, read the text, explain the text, and apply the text, right? So the application is a little more difficult here, but I think uh, this week has taught, if it's taught us anything, it's to kind of reflect and celebrate those who have gone on, who truly have lived wholly and fully to God. So that's just a thought I had at the beginning here. So let's go ahead and kind of dive into the text here. I don't want to go too fast. I want to make sure I go slow. And I don't, quite frankly, I don't know if I'm going to even be able to finish and jump into the second section here because there's a true division of kingdoms and what's happening. And so we'll just see where the time is. I want to, I want to go as the Spirit leads and I want to make sure I remember the things that I've researched here and talked about. So I'm kind of going to take my time and go through this a little bit tonight. So if we look at the first, well, you know what? Just a recap, and the recap comes from the very first three, the very first three words on here. It says, at that time, what time were we talking about? Well, remember what just happened when Pastor Greg, if you weren't here last week, um, Jeroboam, uh, there was a, a prophet that came and was, was coming up against what Jeroboam had done. Jeroboam, if you don't know, was, had created, the, the, again, the golden calves, pretending, oh, it's just so that the Lord can stand on them. And he was really 100% fully into idolatry at this point. Uh, his heart was hardened, and he was in it to win it. Um, so a prophet came to speak to him, uh, and I didn't teach it, but I kind of remember what Greg said a couple of points. But when Jeroboam reached out his hand to cast the, tell this guy to, to move on, to go away, to leave the land, or you know, stop what he's doing, uh, instantly, the, his arm was hardened and, and turned, so he couldn't draw it back. It was frozen, and he panicked, and other things happened. And then he pleaded and said, "Oh, please ask, you know, please have the Lord, you know, 
turn my arm back and, and that was fine. And so all that happened. And so you would think after that, maybe Jeroboam would go, hmm, maybe I should rethink my ways or I should you know, do something a little differently. Uh, but that clearly doesn't happen. The text says this. And so when it says at that time, this is shortly after that. Okay, so let's kind of dive into the text a little bit here. We're just going to go slow. It says, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, arise. Well, let's, let me stop right there. Just want to give you, uh, just briefly, Abijah is, is uh, one, of, one of Jeroboam's offspring. Uh, and Jeroboam, uh, or Abijah, is, when it says child, it can mean anywhere, anywhere from a young child kind of to a, almost, an, almost a 20-year-old. So that, just to give you context of, he could have been 18, he might have been 7, it's, we're not really sure, it doesn't really say, it's kind of a general thing here. So, but obviously, um, and you know, an interesting thing, and we'll see this later on in verse 13, I, verse 13, I don't want to jump ahead yet, but of all of, the, I think his son Abijah here was the most redeeming thing about Jeroboam at this point in his life. So this was the bright spot in all of this story is not that things happen the way we want them to happen or think they should happen, but he was actually one of the brighter sides of Jeroboam. Uh, so let's just continue on through here in the text. And Jeroboam said to his wife, arise and disguise yourself, that it, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. So let's kind of pause right there. He's, he's, you know, some people really only call out to the Lord when they're in trouble. And we see that a lot with, with people that are just pagan or they're heathens or they, but even sometimes people that are, call themselves Christians, they kind of lead this Christian walk or this life sort of, kind of, and when something crashes, when something falls to the ground, then they call out. And this is exactly what we're seeing from Jeroboam right here. He was he, clear. In fact, look at look it up at 13, the end of 13. It says, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. Any who would. In other words, they weren't the right ones. They weren't from the, the, uh, the tribe of Levi. And he said, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. So clearly Jeroboam was not following the Lord. His heart was not wholly given to God, clearly. And all of a sudden, oh, my son is sick. Maybe, maybe the prophet who said, he said, he said he put me in place. He, he said the Lord wanted me to do this. Maybe he'll have a good word for me, right? Maybe he'll do, so, you know, people call on the Lord for strange reasons at strange times, and that's exactly what's going on here. So the interesting part here is this, uh, the, the disguise that's going on here. So he, he wants his wife to get dressed up. He doesn't go himself. He wants to have his wife get dressed up. Uh, and the text is not 100% clear on this, but perhaps it's not to be noticed. So he's not noticed that this great king is actually kind of going and lowering himself enough to go get you know, uh, recommendations from uh, some uh, prophet who's now blind, you know, and so he kind of does this weird thing. Now, a lot of the things that I've read and, and sort of the inferences in the scripture were, were that when someone is living in sin and they know they're not right with the Lord, there's a shame to that, right? 
So there's a shame in that. And, you, and we've, all, we've probably all been there. You know, when you're not quite doing things 100% and you know it, there's sort of that resistance of going and getting, talking with another brother or doing something because you know you're in sin. And so I think there's a shame element here where he's like, my son is dying. I'm not going to go. You go, but disguise yourself so that we can just get a good word from the Lord and a good little prediction and then come back and things will be just fine. So that's kind of what's going on there. So I want to get you an understanding of what, of what seems to be happening here. Now, when he said, when, let's continue on here. Uh, where were we? Um, Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there who said of me that I should be king over his people. There's the, we knew that would happen. Take with you 10 loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey. And I want to stop right there real quick. That was typically done or thought to have been done so that she would look like a common person. Because, you know, queens, I guess, of kings would not necessarily, or wives of kings wouldn't be walking around with bread. That's to make her, that's like to up the ante on the, on the disguise. So they really looked like a common person, all disguised up like they're going to market or something. So take the jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Now that comment right there, he will tell you what shall happen to the child. It, it would have been great if at the time Jeroboam would just have come to his senses and said, he will tell us, or maybe instead of just going, he'll let us know what's going to happen to the child. Maybe he, if he would have gone, I need to, something may be occurring to my child because the Lord is disciplining me. Maybe I should change my heart. Maybe I should stop the idolatry. Maybe I should stop leading a nation into idolatry and condoning it and pushing it and, and abetting the crime. But no, he just wants to know what's going to happen to his kid. So there's so many opportunities here, I think, that could have uh, taken place before this occurred, but it doesn't. He just says, go find out what's going to happen to the kid. I don't really, I don't want to deal with all that. So let's kind of move on in the text here. So Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. That's kind of funny, thus and thus. I hope no, I hope no prophet ever says thus and thus about me because, you know, that's dangerous there. But, but right there in that little section there, God has come to Ahijah, giving him the heads up, who's coming, who it's going to be. So regardless of the disguise or how she tiptoes around or tries to change her voice, Ahijah is already pre-warned. He knows what's happening, right? So let's continue on. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. Sneaky. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, before she even spoke, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go, well, let me just kind of pause right there. Just to give you an understanding of what's happening. Obviously, he knew who was coming. Before she even spoke, he was able to go. It's kind of interesting to take and, and, and place yourself. Uh, when, I, when you read scripture, it's, it's, we all have pretty active imaginations. I think men are more visual, women, but we can, from all movies we watch, and when you read a book, it's interesting how your mind just takes over and creates places. And I think reading historical narratives really kind of like, I'm just kind of picturing the, the threshold and the doorway, whether it was a it was just an open door, and he was in there, he's blind, sitting there. So you kind of want to take yourself back into this 
uh, this in, understand what's going on just by almost visualizing it. It's interesting. Um, so she comes in. Um, he knows who she is. And, here's, and he knows that she's, he's, there's, there's horrible news. So she's like, why are you even trying to disguise yourself? But let's move forward here. Look at verse 7. This is where it begins. Um, in fact, let me back up for one second. I, 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 I want to talk about, just real quickly, I had a quote here that I thought was interesting. When, it, when we talked about, um, when, it, when, when Jeroboam had an inquiry as to, you know, he was still living in sin, I'm just backing up for one second, and he, all he wanted to know is, like, just what's going to happen to my child? There was no remorse, there was nothing else, there was no, what can I do, maybe if I change my ways. But Matthew Henry says this, he's one of my favorite um, theologians, he says, most people would rather be told their fortune than their faults or duty. Isn't that true today? You know, we all seek after these things. And that was written a couple hundred years ago, you know, so by this theologian that looked at that. And that's so true, and that's exactly what happened. Um, but before we hit verse, verse 7, if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to look how, the, how this text is broken down. And so there's a section in here that, that's going to be divided into three, three little parts. And this is what, what the Lord has told um, the prophet to say, and in this, so if you're taking notes, there's three things to look for as we go through this text. The first one is a statement of grace, a statement of grace. This is of the Lord, and it's a statement of grace. It's what the Lord did, okay? The second thing is a statement of how Jeroboam fell short, okay? So it's, he's, he's going to give grace and, and make a statement of grace. He's going to make a statement, uh, almost a... a uh, not a verdict, what's it, a charge, what he's charged with. So a statement of how Jeroboam fell short. I'm sorry, that wasn't the charge part. The third one is the charge, statement of crime. The statement of crime that Jeroboam committed against God. So as we, as we go through this text, I want you to look for these things, and I'll stop and we'll notice these. So the first one, again, is statement of grace, what God had, did, what God had done. Number two, a statement of um, how Jeroboam fell short. And the third thing is a statement of the crime. The, uh, the, the sin that he committed. So as we go through, you'll be able to kind of note those things. So let's, let's kind of continue on in verse 7. Go tell Jeroboam, this is from Ahijah the prophet, thus says the Lord God of Israel. It's not just the Lord God. This is the Lord God of Israel. He was wanting to make sure that we knew exactly what God it was, Okay. He says, because I, here's number one, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people of Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Let's kind of pause right there. That's right there is the, uh, the first thing we talked about. That's the statement of grace. So God is, he's kind of laying out the, almost like a good lawyer. He's laying out, the, the prosecutor's laying out the plan here. He's like, Let's begin with what I've done for you. And we, we, we learned that back in, I don't know if it was 11, but we, we, when Jeroboam was met by the prophet and, and Ahijah said, hey, here's what the Lord has said to me. You're going to be taking the northern kingdom. We're going to tear it apart. Uh, and then the kingdom's going to be divided. So the God is saying here, here's what I did. You know it, right? And then let's kind of continue on here. And yet, now here's the second part. Here's the statement of how that Jeroboam fell short. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments. Again, there's David again, that gold standard, 
the high water mark there, uh, and followed me with, this is talking about David, he kept my commands and followed me with all his heart. There's it again right there, fully following, doing only what was right in my eyes. So we kind of stop right there before verse 9. So we started with the Lord saying, here's what I've done for you. Here's how you fell short. You didn't hit the mark because if we go back to 11, I'm not going to do it tonight, but he does say, if you, if you keep my commandments as David did, and if you lead as David did, and your heart is fully given to me as was David's, then I will do so and so. So it's, you know, people think about, this is the part where we talk about, you know, sometimes non-believers, they, they think of God and they hear about God and they go, that God of the Bible, he's just so, you know, I like the New Testament Jesus. He's, he's cool. He's, you know, he's kind and we're, he's lovey and, you know, everybody's good and we're supposed to love our neighbors and all that stuff. And that's all they know. And then they go, we say, what about the God of the whole Bible? Well, the God of the Old Testament, he's mean and he's really judgmental. And he did things that just didn't make sense. And, 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 but the, there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and there's not a lot of scholarship that's done, even with uh, intelligent people. They just say, well, look what God did here, and look what, why'd he do this, and why'd he do that? But, but it's really on them. The onus is on them because there's no scholarship done. They don't really understand. You've got to really dig into these texts sometimes to get a full understanding of what God did and why he did it. You know, with the, the guy that just kind of went out and just tried to steady the ark. He was just really just trying to help out, right? I mean, why would God strike him dead? And then the, even the last chapter here, we just, why would God have the lion come eat the, the servant for he was just really hungry and, or the prophet, you know, and some things are, but there are reasons God has laid out commandments and, and uh, things to follow. And when things were, have gone out of order or things took things lightly, like the strange fire that was on the altar, um, God had to, not that he was making a point or making a case study out of someone, but God is holy and we are not. And when, we do, when we, we do things that are against his will and against his uh, commandments, then there will be consequences. It says in Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves. And, and that, that's how we know we're his children. So in here, I'm just showing you that in this particular case, it's very clear. You know, some people would say, well, Jeroboam, he tried. He, he won a lot of wars and he got, had some political gain and he was part of God's dividing the kingdom. Yes, but it's very, it, God makes this case right here. It's very clear why um, he, was, he was going to be judged, okay? So, again, uh, statement of grace, he did that, laid that out clearly. Statement of how he fell short, he was not like David. I mean, who was? Actually, just to, just to give you some hope, next chapter, there's actually a good king coming. It's one of the good ones. And there's a few. And, and there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a book called The uh, Survey of the Old Testament, and it has a really neat table and graph. And it shows all the kings of the northern and southern kingdoms. And the ones that are like in like a grayed out were, were like the, the, the terrible kings. And there are a few good kings on both sides. So it's, it's just hang in there because eventually there's going to be a good king coming. But it seems like no one can really meet that standard. Okay, so now let's move on. Um, here's, where, here's where the crime is. is it, he states the crime. He says, he says but you, this is verse 9. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images provoking me to anger. Let's kind of pause right there, okay? So look, notice what he says there. In fact, I think you'll find that both in this 
this narrative of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, these two particular characters had done worse, far worse, exponentially worse, th uh, more evil things than their predecessors. Like you don't, you couldn't think like, oh wow, I can't get any worse than what Solomon finally did. And then here we go, right into the next thing where Job, Jeroboam, and the Lord says it right there. He says, he says, but you have done evil above all who were before you. What did he do? Well, he was wicked beyond Saul and Solomon, and he also, uh, he, he, he created, basically, he politicized uh, a strange fire worship, basically. It was improper pagan worship, and it was beyond what anyone else had ever done, and so that's why the Lord put that in there. So it's not just that he, did, he, had, he was kind of idolatrous like Solomon was. He actually instituted and created things beyond what Solomon did. So that's kind of uh, why he said that. Now, I want you to notice something here, provoking me to anger. The anger will find, uh, why do you think Christ, why do you think God was angry here? And he just throw, throw any words out, why he was so angry. Disobedience. Okay, disobedience, that's right. Yeah? Idolatry. Idolatry, right? So, but let's, no, okay, good. That's exactly correct. Now let's look at the next little part here. It says, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. You hear that, right? So here's, here's, it's like putting God on the back burner, you know, just kind of like setting him in a place that's, yeah, I still have, remember polytheism, right, Steve? Polytheism, so we have uh, all of these other things but instead of God being front and center and 100% fully who we're dedicated to, he said, the way it was worded here, he said, you've cast me behind your back. Now, that's in several other texts. I'm not going to go there, but it's something, it's, it's of literally taking and, and putting in someone back behind us and just not really, it's still there, but I'm, I'm going to put it over here just so I don't have to pay attention to it or see it. Putting on the back burner, exactly. I mean, so that's, that we use that in today in modern colloquialism. So, and when we do that, it says our God is a what God? Jealous. Jealous. That's the word I was looking for. In both of these narratives, you'll see that it's because God is a jealous God, rightly so, that these types of things, yes, the idolatry was bad. Yes, he made graven images. But because in doing those things, he put God in a place that was not where God wanted to be. God wants to us to be, uh, God, we want, God wants us to put God front and center. And the, the main thing is the main thing. And so I just found that was very striking uh, when, it, when it talked uh, and with, about that. Have cast me behind you. And then here comes, the, here's, <laughs> here's where the, that famous word that you don't want to hear. It's therefore, right? So here's, here's the therefore. Uh, but before we start there, uh, we had three statements of the Lord. They were three kind of, um, he was just laying out the charges, so to speak, right? Now, if you're taking notes again, I want you to write out there's three judgments that are going to occur, okay? We're going to see these things in this chapter and in consecutive chapters. So there's three judgments that we're going to see in, the, in this particular narrative. The first one is the death of his son. His son will die. So that's uh, I'll, I'll, that's going to be found, if you want to write notes underneath that, that's going to be found in verses 12 to 13. So the first is the of the three judgments is the death of his son. The second judgment is the overthrowing 
of Jeroboam's dynasty. It will be concluded by the next chapter. Uh, that's going to be in verse 14. Is, that's the, the judgment that's going to occur. Um, and thirdly, the exile from the land, the exile of Israel from the entire land. This is huge. So these are things that are just, be, this is, so here's the crime, here's the judgments, and these things will take place over the next few chapters and on into the kings. So number one, the death of his son. Number two, uh, the overthrowing of Jeroboam's dynasty. And number three, exile from the land of the entire nation of Israel. So let's kind of move on in the text and we'll begin to see these things here. Uh, where were we? Okay, so verse, verse 10. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, uh, in Israel. That means all of them, okay? And I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. There's some really visual narratives in here. In fact, there's an, uh, from the original King James Version, I'm not going to say it, but when it says here every male, there was a far greater description to show that it was male. And, the, and it was something about, it had to do with dung. And it was just really crazy, bizarre, but it was in the original text there. And so, but it was cleaned up a little bit, I think, in the ESV here. So, um, so this is just going how, 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 sh- how far that uh, this burned him up. So as a man burns up dung until it's all gone. Chapter, or verse 11, anyone... Now listen to this, anyone, who be, anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Now this right here is a covenant curse. If you hold your place, I like it when you hold, kind of put a little bookmark in there, go back to Deuteronomy 27. It's real fast, Deuteronomy 27. If I can find it myself, I don't have it marked. Deuteronomy 27. Just to kind of show you that this is a curse that was uh, given earlier. Let's see, 27 and verse 26. Well, that's not there. 27, 26. Yeah, 27, 26. Am I in the wrong chapter? But I'm trying to find that maybe it's 20, oh, 27, 26. I was in 20, okay. Well, it's still not the thing that I'm looking for, but these are curses. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what's that? It may have been, I don't know. It could be a goose hunt at this point. I, I, I have written it down here, but I probably have written it incorrectly. But you'll see, if we were to find that original text, that it does say the, nearly the exact same thing about the curses. It says, anyone belonging, it says, the dog shall eat. And anyone that dies, the birds, shall, the birds of the heaven shall eat. It's the same, there's, there's a, a kind of a, a metaphor curse that goes on. And, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of repeated right there. Um, okay, we can stop looking for it. <laughs> Is that it, 2826? Right, let's go there. Okay, 2826. Now that we're already in it to win it. Deuteronomy 28. Thank you for finding that, whoever did. 2826. All right. Yeah, there it is. Okay, thank you very much. 
Deuteronomy 28, 26. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air, for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. For some reason when I was studying, that struck me bigger than it was, I think, but, uh, but <laughs> there it is. So this is a, a continued covenant curse that occurs several times, and here's one of the times it does occur almost verbatim. Uh, so, all right, so let's move on here. Um, okay, so let's go to, let's, let's kind of pick it back up at verse 12 here. So he's given the, the one, the... Uh, the first thing there. So it says, Arise, therefore, go to your house. And again, this is Abijah still speaking of the Lord. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. There's number one. That's the first judgment that will occur. And then we move on. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. That's kind of what we talked about at the beginning. So even as evil as Jeroboam was, there was still something pleasing to the Lord in this. And because of that, he would be buried properly. In other words, that's kind of what they're talking about there. So he would still die, but the honor would be on him because of he was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Um, Moreover, this is verse 14, the Lord will raise up for himself a king. This is, the second, this is the second judgment. He will raise up for himself a king, again, God is sovereign, uh, who, will, who will cut off the house of Jeroboam today. That king would be raised up. We'll see it later on, but that's the second judgment right there. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. Now that right there, as a reed... The re- there's a book called The Bruised Reed. I don't remember the author, but it's a really interesting book about, uh, there's a lot of sim- sim- uh, symbolism and, and metaphor- metaphors in the, in the word, but, that, but the, if you picture a reed that's in the water, like kind of like the cattail, something that's in the water, and it's shaken and stirred, that is simply a metaphor for political turmoil. That means there's going to be a lot of warring between the two nations, and that's exactly what's going to occur there. So that's what that means when it talks about that, for the reed um, is shaken in the water. And then it says, um, is shaken in the water, and, and the Lord will strike and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates. I'm going to stop right there. That is the uh, third thing. That is the exile of the land. That is removing Israel, and that's a, that's a, a prophecy of what's going to occur, the third judgment there. Because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So again, it wasn't just Jeroboam sinning. It was the fact that he was aiding and abetting and allowing an entire nation to worship him properly, and so hence the judgment on Jeroboam was so harsh. So he's doing three things here. The child will die, number one. Um, Jeroboam's dynasty will end. Now there's still a son that's going to take over for him, but we'll see in the next chapter as we, when we get to it that that's going to end very rapidly. So Jeroboam's his, his, his line will stop. That was, that's the judgment of the Lord. And then the exile from the land. This is where, but again, this has to happen 
And we know that from past lessons that God is sovereign and he uses these things. He uses Jeroboam and Jeroboam's folly and Solomon's folly for his plan about how the nations would be divided and how they would be cast out of uh, where they're supposed to be and going to exile. These are all things that are supposed to happen, but it's kind of difficult to watch. And we always, when we're looking at things, we wonder like, it, you know, again, it, why, why was there such difficulty and turmoil? And, and uh, because we are man and we are sinful and these things simply occurred. But it, I think sometimes the point of these stories overall, if you look at all the kings and all the stories in the Bible, is that God, again, I said it before, God is sovereign. And what that means is, regardless of what we attempt to do or not do through folly or failure, his plan will move forward, right? And so we kind of have to understand that as this overarching theme, because it can get really confusing and it can get exhausting, actually. Like, really? Your, your arm was withered into a stump last, you know, last week, and this week, you really you want to know if your son can be healed just by kind of sending out your wife in disguise like what are they, what's he thinking but you know we see that God is God is God that doesn't want to be toyed with and he's a jealous God and therefore these uh, judgments have come upon him so uh, so he made Israel to sin that's again he's going kind of going beyond just doing it himself but when you cause an entire nation to sin uh, that's where uh, I think the Lord, um, he moved, obviously. So let's kind of move on here. Uh, then Jeroboam's wife arose and came to Tirzah. Tirzah is where I believe Jeroboam reestablished his headquarters. It's a beautiful area. I think it means beauty. Um, and she, as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. Just as So there is the very first of the judgments that have come to pass. That's the first one right there. Uh, there will be several others, but that's the one that has. And then it says, All of Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now, in a, two chapters ago, if you remember, there was this whole narrative um, about, about uh, Rehoboam not listening to the old wise men and he just kind of went with what his buddies said, the younger guys. And we, we, we thought, hey, that can actually be a, that, we could teach that. That's a good lesson there. But really the lesson was at the very end of that section where that all occurred because we saw God working that out for his glory and for his plan. Now this por portion here is not necessarily like that, but it is a portion where God's word is fulfilled and it says it, and it, because it, let me read it again to you. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him because this was the good one. This was the, the one that, that the Lord found pleasure in. He liked this boy, um, but according to the word of the Lord. So prophecy was fulfilled because it says, which he spoke by, his, by Ahijah the prophet. So God's word came to pass clearly. So that kind of ends up part, one little section. Now, this is the part where, as I was reading through and studying a bit, we had three major points tonight. I think the first one is God is just. I think we've seen that. He is a righteous judge. In fact, in the judgment that he gave uh, when the prophet spoke, he, he, gave, he laid out, he's, here's what I've done for you, right? And then here's what you didn't do, and here's what you did do, evil-wise. Evil so God, is, God was judging Jeroboam, and he did it rightly. So God is a just judge. 
I think we can all agree that it was the punishment was earned, well earned. Uh, the second thing is that God uh, is a jealous God. Uh, he loves us with a jealous love, and I think that it's really important. So, in fact, I'm going to jump ahead real quick. Just look at look down at verse 22. I don't want to get too far ahead, but it says, "And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and what? And they provoked who? God, God to jealousy with their sins they had committed." more than all their fathers had done. So I'm not going to get into that section, but again, point two of this kind of, as I, as I kind of begin to wrap this thing up, is that number one, God is just. Number two, we see that God is a jealous God, and God wants all of us, 100% of us. And so when our hearts are divided and we sin, uh, it's not, the, not necessarily just the sin, although that's enough, but what the sin does is that it separates us, it, it divides our, our, our focus of fully being to Him, right? Um, it says uh, in Hebrews that we keep our gaze on Christ as we move forward and ahead, and that's 100%, right? Um, but the last thing that, that we kind of talked about in this, that I want to talk about in the text is, is I talked about legacy, and we talked about Brother Bill, and we talked about Kay and these saints who have given their lives to, the, to Christ and, and have gone on and on, and 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 how beautiful that is. But when we get here to the end here, the death of Jeroboam is so sad. It says, it says now the, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, it's almost like it's just like, well, let me finish. How he warred and how he reigned. Behold, they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. At the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers. In other words, he died. And Nabab, Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. How sad it says, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, that's all in vain. Nothing mattered. All of the things that he did, all the battles he may have won, all the political gain and how he reigned as a kingdom, none of that mattered. What mattered was the fact that his heart wasn't given to Christ. And that's really, in the end, that's really all that matters. We could, we could gain all the wealth. We could be the best, I could be the best teacher in the world. We could do, you know, at, at the school, I, I could, we could have the, uh, the biggest boats. We could have the, the biggest collections of this and that. We could be the best at whatever. But really, what is our legacy? What do we leave behind? What really matters, and I, again, I feel like I'm preaching the choir here because we're all, Saints, I believe, in this room here, because uh, you go to Bible study. Well, not all—I mean, almost all of us, right? <laughs> well, yeah, at least we're all honest, right? But, 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 it makes you think as you look at the conclusion of this guy's life and what he did and what he didn't do. But it's like really what mattered is what he did for the Lord, and and, and that his heart was 100% fully given. That that we don't we don't place God on the back burner, you know. Um, and so it just kind of makes us think about. Our lives and, and and man, it really hit home when I think about these dear saints and um, you know even uh, we, we I think when I met with Phyllis and she just had this peace because she knows where George is going and she knows what what he's done and where he's come from you know yes he had a very very famous restaurant uh, steakhouse in New York or New Jersey right called Libanati's, New, New Jersey. And even someone in our fellowship that heard his name, 
you know? So yeah, maybe George could have been, yeah, that guy that had that big famous steakhouse. But no, no, George, George is the guy that we remember as being a servant, a humble servant of the Lord, who, who just was a converted Catholic that had a passion for serving. And maybe he can be remembered as the cushion man, right? <laughs> At church, right? You know, but, um, but I think that's how we need to be remembered. And I think the story, although it's crazy, and obviously Jeroboam was a king that did evil, wicked things, I think the judgment that occurred here was because his heart was not fully and wholly dedicated to Christ. And it's just a, a good reminder to remember what our, what our, what we, just how we live, and then what we think about, and what we do, and and what we find our value in, and what we expect people, what people say of us, say of us, say of us. You know, or yeah, he he had a, a great restaurant, or you know those types of things. So we'd all hope that um, that as we you know, move forward in our lives that, that if something were to occur, when we do go to glory, that, 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 that and how he, how he ruled in, in, in you know, vain. So I, I, I want to just kind of end there. I, we didn't finish the chapter because it's a, it could probably take another hour uh, because Rehoboam is horrendous. <laughs> and this is, this is, the, this is the, the part where Dave, this is a line of David is coming from this, Jude, this region of Judah. And it's just unbelievable what, what actually occurs here. And it's, I don't want to go into it. I'm going to save it for next week. Um, I will be teaching next week again uh, because Greg is going to be on a family vacation. And he'll be excited about that. So, um, but anyway, three things just to kind of recap real fast kind of what we saw in this text tonight. Because it's important as we go through a text to kind of have some points. So God is just. He's a jealous God. And we really need to remember our legacy and, and how we live Amen? Good? All right, let's, let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the people that are here tonight. These are dedicated, dedicated saints that come week in and week out to study your word. These aren't just people that show up on Sunday and leave. Not that that's, that's a terrible thing, but Lord, I, I just I, there's a certain amount of dedication to really want to learn about your word and to gain knowledge of who you are, because when we do that, we, we, we get a fuller picture of who you are. And when we pray, we get a broader understanding of your mercy and your justice and your love and your shepherding. And we also are, 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 are warned and uh, are given reminders of how to live and how not to live. Lord, we just thank you so much for, again, for everyone who's here tonight. Lord, I ask that you give them safe travels uh, as they head home this evening and bring us all back together uh, to receive your word this coming weekend and Sunday. In your name we pray. Amen.